Welcome to the AUDL Roundup. The regular season is over. Our time is winding down for this year's season. The playoff teams are locked in. Uh, if you haven't seen who the playoff teams are, we're going to talk about all of them. But really the first thing that struck me when I looked at this list is it's almost exactly what I thought was going to happen at the beginning of the year. So let me throw it to you, Mr. Nathan Jessen. Convince me that this is more exciting than it looks to me. Well, first of all, I think that if you have the teams that you expected to be there, I think it is exciting because you have the best teams playing each other in the playoffs. So, I mean, I, I would say it's exciting regardless. I think that there were some things that were unexpected. Like, I don't think most people saw Los Angeles and Seattle both finishing 9-5. and five. Um, I, I think that Los Angeles kind of became, uh, I mean, they were a fairly consistent unit throughout the year. They improved throughout the year. They took advantage of teams that maybe didn't show up uh, entirely to those games, whether mentally or like physically didn't have players show up in between guests, um, and took advantage of those situations, whether uh, Los Angeles was at home or on the road. Um, and now they're hosting playoff games this coming weekend. And it's kind of an interesting, maybe anything could happen for them um, type scenario. And in the Midwest, um, I certainly didn't think that Minnesota would sweep Chicago and Indianapolis and go five and zero against those teams. Um, they also finished with nine wins. I I knew they would be a little bit better this year. I didn't expect them to to get to nine wins. I mean, I missed I missed on that one. Other than that, yeah, the teams we thought would finish at the top finish at the top. So yeah, it sounds like what we're getting at is. The destination may be the same or pretty close to the same, but the journey was definitely different. I did not expect L.A. to be as competitive as they were. I, I kind of thought they would have a toss-up in the three spot with Vancouver, which even, I guess, like four weeks ago we were still saying, you know, it's going to be one of those teams in the three spot. But they really came on hot at the end of the year, and I think that's probably the most exciting playoff game. So why don't we start there? Let's run through these first couple matchups. These are the twos and threes in every division across the board. So we'll start in the West. Who do you like between L.A. and Vancouver? This one is really tough to predict for me, just given the unpredictable nature of the Seattle Cascades. You know, um, I think that the the Cascades have been uh, very unreliable this year, just depending on do they have 20 guys show up to the game. You know, are Danny Karlinski, Matt Rader, and Simon Montague, and, you know, Mark Burton actually there? I mean, because if they're not, then they're in trouble. But if they are, well, especially given the depth that Seattle has, they're going to be ridiculously tough to beat. Um, And I think Seattle is not a city that prioritizes AUD, to be honest about all, right? And they treat this to a large degree as kind of a tryout for the Sockeye team, for a lot of the players. And it's difficult to to measure how seriously they're going to take any given game. That said, this is the playoffs, so I do think they rise to another level and do start to take it more seriously here. Um, and we saw that last year in the playoffs. Um, they lost this, uh, a lot of teams during the regular season. But then last year in the playoffs, they took care of San Francisco when they were on, and Seattle was on the road. And then they brought it to San Jose. I mean, played them in a really close Western Conference final. Um, so... If I had to pick a team, I would probably pick the Cascades. But given that they're on the road, um, LA's going to be playing in front of their fans in a playoff game, I wouldn't necessarily feel great about it. But I just have a hard time betting against that kind of talent when something's really on the line. So if Seattle plays their best and LA plays their best, Seattle's going to win. 
but Seattle hasn't really played their best for most of the year. I mean, LA has, has actually hit their stride. I think Seattle's trying to hit their stride in this one-off one game. And I think you're right. It is hard to judge how they're going to take these games, but not in the one-off playoff situation like you mentioned. Um, if you're going to take Seattle, I'll probably take LA just because I like it. I don't know if you can call it an upset. I mean, I think it's the closest thing we have to a toss-up in some of these games, and we'll talk about it. But I, I do like L.A. to win this one because I just think Seattle, with all the pieces they have, they haven't really brought it together that great yet. And their stock is down near the end of the year, and the stock for L.A. is going up. Yeah, but sometimes you got to buy low and sell high, Preston. <laughs> that's fair. You know, that's probably why I lost all my money in the stock market last week. You're absolutely right. So let's move to the Midwest <laughs> Pittsburgh and Minnesota. This is pretty much what we expected. I mean, it was kind of a toss-up between Minnesota and Indianapolis, I guess. Uh, you had high expectations for Chicago, but they ended up not really being in it this year. Who do you like between these two? Well, I think if you go back and uh, they, they played this weekend, Pittsburgh won by eight, but I'm not going to read very much into that game um, just because Sub-Zero was playing at the Elite Select Challenge and literally none of the Sub-Zero players were at the Windchill game. And a lot – I mean, the Windchill – still had all their Dragon Thrust guys, and those are some talented people, but the, the, they, they didn't bring their whole team this weekend. And, I mean, you, the Thunderbirds would probably say, well, we were missing the high five guys, and that's true. Of course, they were missing the high five guys for most of the season. Um, when I watched uh, Pittsburgh take on Minnesota earlier this year in Minnesota, it was a really uh, good game, a close game. And what I Minnesota took a lead. They had the lead in the third quarter. They're up by a few, and Pittsburgh really uh, closed out strong. And I think there has to be some sort of plan to slow down Alex Thorne. I, I really just view him as the most important player in this game. It was an upwind-downwind game, and his throws going upwind, going downwind, were always on point, whereas Minnesota was taking shots. Um, Alex Thorne was throwing hucks to space uh, and hitting receivers in stride. So I, I don't know what you can do. Uh, to slow him down, given that Pittsburgh is so good against zone. I, I just in the games they've played against zone, they've they've looked far better than they have against man. But they've got to try to figure out somebody that can just get on Alex Thorne's nerves, uh, try to rattle him. I mean, just like make him work super hard to get the disc back on those dumps, just to do something to try to deny him getting the disc in his hands. Because once it's in his hands, I mean he's going to do damage. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest matchups. Just what is Minnesota going to do to slow down Alex Thorne? Do you know what the Thunderbird roster looks like for this upcoming game? You know, I it's I do not have any intelligence on that right now. Um, I uh, would expect uh, it's a playoff game. It's a home playoff game. I would expect the likes of Johnny Bansfield and James Heisman to be there, given the stakes. But I, I cannot guarantee that for you. It kind of seems like the same situation that we have with Seattle, where we're not sure who's going to show up. But if they both show their best, we're both kind of expecting Pittsburgh. Um, I don't count the last week's game either. Uh, just like you said, Minnesota was missing, missing you know, all of their key players that are going to help them stay tight in this game. I think this has some weight to it, and I think that Minnesota knows they can hang tough even if they have fallen apart in some of the regular season games, but with all the people showing up for this playoff game in Pittsburgh, I think 
it will finally be the roster that we expected to see at the beginning of the season. And if they bring it together, which I expect they will, then I'm definitely picking Pittsburgh here. Yeah, I, I, I guess this would be the pick I feel most comfortable in among the four games in all likelihood. That are well, I guess for uh, first round games that are happening this weekend, um, I I don't think you can count Minnesota out. Uh, honestly, it seemed like they should have won the game when Pittsburgh traveled to Minnesota. They just started playing. They changed their game and late in the second half, and so, instead of like just looking for their best looks or taking the shots they were taking earlier, they just decided, well, let's just make sure we always huck it going downwind just to give them a long field. And, you know, they, they changed their game, started playing with a lead, trying to protect a lead. Um, and I, I hate the saying, like, they weren't playing to win anymore. Of course they were playing to win the whole time. But they they were focused on protecting a lead rather than scoring uh, points or, like, uh, increasing their lead, I would say. Yeah, the Midwest has kind of some weird things about the weight of the regular season because their bottom end is pretty beatable. So I do think, like, towards the end of some of these games, if it looks like a team's going to lose, you know, they kind of know they'll be in a comfortable situation towards the end of the regular season if you're Pittsburgh or Madison. I guess Minnesota had to worry about it a bit more, but they stepped it up near the end there. I agree with you. This is my most comfortable pick out of the four games. But let's move into the South. Raleigh playing Atlanta. This is a tough one for me. Um, I My gut tells me to go with Raleigh, but... In a one-off game like this, we've seen Atlanta, you know, hang tight. And I don't know how much to look into the regular season here. Well, I, I, I think there's value in every regular season matchup and looking at how it will play out in the playoffs. Um, you know, I think I, – I, I hate just to focus on handlers. I was just talking about Alex Thorne, but it's tough for me to go away from talking about Dylan Tunnell and uh, – and uh, Jonathan Nethercutt in this matchup. Uh, Dylan Tunnell's had a fantastic regular season, um, and I, I consider him a legit MVP candidate. And he's played huge for the hustle in their two games against Raleigh. Uh, 14 assists, 91 completions, uh, only five throwaways. And he was huge for uh, the hustle last Sunday in their closeout win over Jacksonville when he got seven assists. I mean, this guy's been on fire the whole year. Um, and again, he's just one of those guys where even more so than Alex Thorne, it's going to be really tough to keep the disc out of his hands. Um, there's only so much you can do. And, you know, Jonathan Nethercutt, obviously uh, a fairly well-known name in the Ultimate community, um, but is kind of weirdly not talked about just because there's so many North Carolina guys on the Flyers team. But he also, in the two games against Atlanta, he's had 15 assists, 92 completions, only three throwaways. I mean, those are... Some startlingly good numbers. Um, obviously, I think the key for Atlanta is their O-line. They just have to make sure when they're taking shots, their shots to space. Raleigh is having here all the time. Um, the Hustle have talked about how they've matched up well with Raleigh, but in the two games that they played this year, obviously it was a 1-1 split. But I think on the whole, Raleigh looked better um, when you take those two games together. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens this weekend. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning towards Raleigh as well. Um, I think the key, like you mentioned, is Jonathan Nethercutt. I, I don't think Atlanta's going to have a good way to stop that because I think he has a couple weapons downfield. And Dylan Tunnell is a great player, but 
I think Tunnell can only do so much for this team. And I think some guys on, on Atlanta are going to have to play both ways near the end. And Raleigh's just going to shine on their offense and continue to hold. And those are going to be detrimental towards the end of this game. I have kind of favored Raleigh in this spot since the beginning of the year. And I feel bad about backing out on it now. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely what I'm taking for this one. Yeah, and, you know, I'm going to take uh, Raleigh too. But I will say that I think that we sometimes we count, we're, we're looking at the best players and the players that perform the best and how well are they going to perform. But it's also we should probably look at the players that maybe didn't perform as well. And I, I think that, you know, Justin Allen is one of these guys where some days he plays really well and some days he plays really badly. Um, you know, the the two games against Atlanta – I, he's put up some numbers, you know, uh, he's had four assists and eight goals. Those are good numbers typically. And I mean, he's accumulated a lot of stats this year, but his, uh, passing percentage is also under 80% in those two games. And that's, that's bad. Um, so if they're going to end up relying on a guy like him, then they, uh, really need him to step it up a little bit. Um, and for Atlanta, if we're talking about cutters, I think that it, uh, starts with Matt Smith. Um, he's been great for them this whole year. He didn't lead the league in goals this year, but I think in a lot of ways he's been even better. Um, he's been uh, taking more unders and I think throwing more yardage and getting the disc back to handlers and power position a lot of the time, which is an underrated skill. Um, so I think that, not that they'll be matched up on each other, but those are two cutters to watch and see how they perform. If Matt Smith is touching the disc a lot, I think it's good for Atlanta. If uh, Justin Allen has early turnovers, that's a bad sign. And in general, I think like Raleigh is a team that uh, if they get broken twice in a row, if they're not careful, they're going to get broken four or five times in a row. I mean, they can break back and get back in the game, but I think you saw it in their game against Dallas on Saturday. They played great against Dallas, except in the second quarter when I think Dallas scored like well a seven-one run at some point. And Raleigh didn't take. I don't know if they took any timeouts during that time frame. I, they're just. They're, I don't want to say, they're not a mentally weak team, but they're a very uh, emotional team. They're streaky. They're streaky. They can, they can get hot for a while, and they can also get cold for a little while. But I will say this. Justin Allen loves playing in big games, and I think vicariously the rest of Raleigh does as well. You know, it's surprising that we both said that the West was the closest one to call because this D.C.-New York matchup has been incredibly close this regular season. I mean, three one-point games, was it? Yes. That's that's amazing to me. So I maybe it's a little different with DC having all their pieces together for this one game, but I don't know, this could be really close. What do you think? Uh well, I think it will be close. Um here's an interesting question. Since the uh 2013 Preston, how many intra-divisional playoff games do you think that a lower-seeded team has won in the AUDL? How many times do you think it's happened since Since 2013? Since 2013, so for three seasons. Uh, three? Three times? Only once. Oof, Only once man. has a lower-seated team won. You, and need that was new, the, you need a new co-host. I'm fired. I'm relieved <laughs> of my duties. Yeah, you're, you're out. But it was the Madison Radicals in 2013. They were 13-3. and three. They beat Chicago, who was 14-2. and two. But that was also kind of a weird year. So, uh, I, I consider it the first real year of the AEDL. But also the Radicals have won the season series, and I think most people are picking the Radicals to win that game. So I think that typically 
you know, we see all these upsets during the regular season, and we think, oh, who knows what could happen, you know? Uh, like, clearly, it's, it's impossible to predict. Well, during the playoffs, things are settled. Rosters are generally operating at a higher level, a, a better turnout, and the teams that are supposed to win, win. I, you know, upsets happen in the regular season, you know? But they don't happen as much in the playoffs, especially in the interdivisional games where we've seen these teams play each other, and it's easier to predict. So I would take in this game. I would take them by more than one goal. I want to very badly, but I also want to beat you. So I'm going to take New York, and I just want them to listen to this and know that people are with them and that they're going to win. I mean, they've come so close these last couple of times. They basically won, and then it got called back on a pick call. And yes, it was a pick, but well, oh my gosh, yeah. they, it was definitely a pick. But they never call those. I mean, it's just kind of a weird anomaly that that's the one time the ref decides to look downfield and see a pick call. But they've come so close. I think this is the time that they can throw it all together. And I don't know. I, I, it, would I put a lot of money on it? No. But we're not putting a lot of money on it, and I believe in them. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah, there, there are a few things I'm looking for in this game. Uh, number one is who's guarding Jeff Wodach. Um, and their last game, they put Babbitt on Wodach a lot of the game. And, you know, that's, that's not a bad matchup. Um, <clears throat> I think Jeff Wodach is another player. I, I wouldn't say he's in the MVP conversation, but if you're talking about an all-AUDL team, I'd have him on mine. Um, I think that he is, he's had a great year for D.C. He's been I, he's been one of their players that's you know been showing up to pretty much every game, and we've always known he's a great receiver. But he's also you know been able to to throw some as well. Though obviously his first talent is always going to be uh, as a receiver, and they've been able to rely on him a lot this weekend. I don't think they'll have Tom Doy if my latest intel is correct, and that's too bad. I really think Doy's a great player, but I think that DC, DC has really started to find itself. Obviously, they haven't played in a few weeks, so we'll see if they're shaking off any rust. But I think they're a team that's really been able to find themselves, and they know who they are, uh, whereas I don't think they really did at the beginning of the year. I think Schaffner and Lou on the O-line, Kolik and Mizuka on the D-line has actually been something that's worked fairly well when you're talking about splitting up those big-name handlers. Um, I think Mark and Schaffner in particular has had a great year. And I, I like New York, uh, but I, I see D.C. taking this one. I'm taking all chalk, if at all possible, unless <laughs> I'm convinced there is a compelling reason not to. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough to pick New York, but I still want to do it. If, if the Empire is smart, they're going to rotate guys on some of D.C.'s better players for the first two or three quarters. Just try and keep them guessing until the fourth quarter when you can just go blow for blow. I think you have to just push it until the last quarter, and then it's anybody's game. I, I think where D.C. might win this game is if they come out hot and score four or five in a row, rattle off a couple breaks, and really make it so that some of these New York guys are going to have to play both ways if they want to grind back. I think they're going to have to try and trade for those first couple quarters, and it's going to be tough. So I don't think you put any one guy on Wodach. I mean, I think Babbitt is a great guy to put on him, and you rotate him in. But if Babbitt's at 60% conditioning and Wodach is on offense, like, doesn't matter who you put on him. If anybody's at 60%, right. they're probably going to lose. So I think you just got to rotate a lot and try and keep everybody guessing until suddenly DC looks up and it's the fourth quarter and you've got a shot to win. 
Yeah, I think maybe even more important than individual matchups or rotating is uh, how what New York does to disrupt DC's offense. Um, I'm just talking about pull plays. I'm talking about just the early throws. They, they're always going to have one or two looks in mind right off uh, right away, and New York needs to be willing to uh, not do. Not, I'm not saying like they need to disrupt pull play on every point, but they need to make sure to mix in and do it. Stops working for a while. And they go away from it. They should still throw it again later in the game. Just so I, I just if the DC offense gets in a rhythm, that's where New York's really going to be in trouble. Um, it's because if you're if the DC offense is scoring quickly, even if New York is trading with them, if those O line points are taking longer for the Empire, I think it'd be really tough on them. Um, so I just New York's got to do whatever they can just to avoid DC getting in a rhythm. So even if it is throwing zone one point and making them throw. 20 relatively easy passes to just make sure they're not in a flow. I think that could be worth it if it's just one point. You know, I just, I don't want DC to get comfortable. We've, we've talked about that a lot this year, how detrimental it can be for the other team's offense to have scores come extremely quickly. Uh, I think the last time we talked about it was Jacksonville when we're just watching Misha and Cole not be able to sit for very long on the bench in between offensive points before they have to come out and do it again. And the AUDL is just a different game. Uh, three out of these four playoff games are going to be live-streamed. The ESPN3 game is the Seattle-LA one, so we differed on that. I'm going to be watching that and sending you a lot of trash talk. That's going to be super fun. Um, the AUDL did announce that they're going to broadcast it to international viewers, which I don't think international viewers have had a real good opportunity to watch most of these games. So that's on audl.tv slash live. So tune in for that. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to talk about what I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've already heard about, which is the whole thing in Jacksonville with the foul. So stay tuned for that. You know you look so good. I'm so good. You know you got me going. This podcast is brought to you by Tyga Ultimate, a new standard in ultimate apparel where each jersey is made uniquely for you. Use code SUMMERTIMESCUBER to get a 10% discount on your next team order for college, club, or Wildwood. So if you've been on your ultimate Twitter account at any point this week, you've probably seen some words said about this foul that happened in the Jacksonville Cannons game against Atlanta. Um, the Jacksonville defender was going after an upline throw, and he bid over the shoulder in an attempt for the disc, which happens a lot. Uh, part of the controversy came when the Cannons took to Twitter to defend this play. I know me and Nathan are going to differ a bit on this. Uh, I'm usually team team internet I, I love when the internet rages and i think this is actually an example of when they have some really good points so i kind of want to go through a little bit and read some of the good points but nathan i want to get your thoughts on it real quick yeah so i think that the the internet rage here is kind of justified in some aspects and not at all justified in other aspects um there's uh the first page was the read over it right the just i'm talking about the self-play itself now I think nearly nearly everyone can agree that was a big shot had been made. You know, I don't think I'm breaking news there. Um, and if it got cut, I mean, it's just a major finish been made, right? And that, I think, is somewhat... I, I don't want to say it's blown out of proportion because it's a terrible bid to make, not all the right thing, but it is also fairly common. Yeah, um, of course. Absolutely. And it's, it's common 
in the AUDL, and it's common in club, and it's not uncommon in college. Um, you know, so I, the thing is, it, we see more of it in the AUDL, right? And when I say I, I, we see more of it, I'm not saying it's uh, more frequent in the AUDL. What I'm saying is we see more of it because all these games are recorded. All the games are recorded. Not all of them are live streamed, but they're all recorded. So there is footage somewhere of every single bad bid made over the last two years. So that's kind of the fact that it's much more visible is what promotes our promotes people's outrage somewhat. So, so okay, I, think that- I, I agree with that. But I think where the conversation turn is when they're saying, yes, this is common, but this is more common with Jacksonville and, you know, some people on Twitter saying the state of Florida in general than it is with everywhere else. And I think that's the conversation that a lot of people took to. Right. This is the, the next part of the outrage. There are three, three, indiv- there are three separate outrages going on. <laughs> so the, the bid is the first part. And the second one is the team. And of all the three outrages, I think it's by far the most justified. I don't want to throw the state of Florida under the bus. Florida is a rigged state. People get that. A lot of people live there. There are a lot of separate communities there. Has this is a problem with the Jacksonville and the team? I think that's clear. I, I mean, would they deny that? I don't think so. Um, they did. We, confront- we. Oh gosh, I gotta. I gotta stop referring to the internet. We. I mean, well, we're confronted. Uh, than me. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be in it. Uh, well, they. The cannons were confronted on social media, and they basically did not deny it. And their first tweet came out and said, uh, "Our guy got it first. A statement will be coming later." And the statement did come later, but they kind of saw some slow motion footage and got some calls from the AUDL office as it came out today, and they kind of walked that back a bit. But when confronted with it, it wasn't nice. And I'm not trying to call out the state of Florida, but that is what most people do. And I'm guilty of doing it sometimes because from College Ultimate, I played Florida and UCF and Florida State. That's when I know Florida Ultimate. And there's a style there. I'm not going to call the style one thing. I mean, it's really intense, but it's not inherently dirty, but it's with the kids. I mean... They're the most physical team that we have in the ADL right now. Physical beyond the point of rules. Yeah, and beyond the point of acceptability. I mean, beyond the point of rules and beyond the We had a player got ejected immediately, uh, which was the right ball. this, like, well, shitty. Well, first of all, the Cannons went 5-9. and nine. They're not going to the, re- the playoffs. They won their games on the road this whole year. So any talk of suspension, you're going to have to wait till 2017. So I just think that whole conversation is basically pointless. Um, but, I, you know, I think that the... It is a problem with Jacksonville, right? I, I'm not sure, like, what can be done about it beyond just, like, a statement from the league condemning the team. I mean, obviously the Cannons on Wednesday released that statement saying, like, oh, we talked to Steve Gordon and, you know, the AUDL was right. We accept the ruling on the field. Um, you know, they also said they hold state of everyone uh, as paramount importance. Yeah, well, me- it's not really shown in their play. But <laughs> let me just jump in real quick. A lot of people are taking to Twitter to talk about how the AUDL is uh, ruining things and, oh, my gosh, the world's ending, all that stuff. The AUDL ejected the player. Like, that's, that's what should have been done. I mean, mo- what most people think should have been done in this situation. So do not dog on them. I mean, they may have to go to the cannons and figure out something to go on. Uh, or something to do, I guess, to sort of curve this behavior. But I think one of the main issues here that a lot of people are struggling with is there are not the same standards for club as there are ADL. That that should not be the case. I think the majority of people that take to Twitter and see something like this see Ultimate, and then they judge it based on Ultimate. AUDL and USAU are not the same. They have both made explicitly clear that they are not the same. So to judge 
this player on the Cannons, like he's playing a club game, is not rational. And I'm still, you know, angry about it. And that's my right as a fan. But I don't expect anything else to come of the situation. I'm a little frustrated that Jacksonville came to the defensive first. They've walked it back since then. But there's not the same standard for club as there is for pro. There are referees for a reason. And it is because the AUDL wants a diminished form of spirit of the game. They don't want it to be the the guiding light of the entire game. They want it to be actionable and they want it to be able to use it, but not be the underlying thing that makes the actual game possible. So we have to stop holding these two separate entities to the same sand. Yeah, you said a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, I, that was, that was, was my in lieu of going there. <laughs> in lieu of going to Twitter. You can listen to this podcast, and those are all of my thoughts there. Um, those are some interesting. I think the general you know, the page that the AOS is the AUDL's fault. They encourage this type of play. I was like, you see this type of play everywhere. And uh, one thing I do want to point out is that it's really, in my opinion, having watched a fair amount of International Ultimate, I think plenty of other people have watched more than me, but this is mostly a North America problem, Um, the kind of backpacking we talk about. I would Uh, disagree with that. I I think, and maybe it's just because I've watched some of the big games. Uh, I don't know about interleague play in countries like Germany and Japan and Canada. But I mean, when you look at uh, the thing I can think of most recently is when Ironside played Buzz Bullets at Worlds, there were, I mean, that was extremely physical. One of the most physical games that I've ever watched. And that's taking one team from one place. I I do think it is more of a problem in North America. uh, And part of the reason for that is because we have referees now in some leagues. So that, that changes it. But I don't know if I would say it's, it's drastically uh, more of a problem here. That, that's a fair point. That that was definitely a physical game. I guess I was thinking of the European teams, um, not as much about the buzz bullets. And may, you know, I'm sure there are examples of very physical European teams. Maybe I'm off base there. But that's just been my anecdotal experience having watched uh, those international teams play. Um, but again, we also like there's more outrage over this than there was, you know, a few weeks ago at the U.S. Open, Khalif uh, Salam. Uh, complained about a member of Dragon Thrust, uh, Jay Drescher, and his, what Khalif viewed as uh, really poor bids, not just like because he didn't have plays on the disc in Khalif's opinion. Um, uh, obviously, this one was a whole lot of um, These types of plays happen, uh, they happen in UDL, they happen in club, they happen in college. Uh, do I think that the presence of referees makes it more common? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, the guy got ejected. That's a pretty strong disincentive to not make that type of bid. You know, I mean, when I played, you know, my mid to low level club days or we play without observers, you saw way worse stuff and people react very poorly to any type of call. So I I don't know. Maybe that's just the the elite. It's I'm, I know it's different at the elite level, but to, to talk about like this doesn't happen, self-officiated games and or it's more encouraged by refereed ultimate than self-officiated ultimate. I, I don't necessarily buy that argument. You make a good point. I I do think this kind of play is extremely common in club as well. I think it's common in all of ultimate. But I think um I mean I think the retribution from the league was ejecting him, like you said, and that is the 
correct thing to do. Would he have gotten ejected in an observed game at, you know, club nationals for this exact uh, play? Hey, Preston. <laughs> what? You, you tell me. I, I don't really know. I think if it was a first yeah. warning, I think he probably wouldn't have. I think if it was a first offense, he wouldn't have. Um, and to be fair, I did not watch the entire game. I don't know if this was kind of the cultural swing of that uh, individual game between Jacksonville and Atlanta, that more and more bids were coming. Um, the thing that, that frustrated me the most was not that, I mean, he bid, because it happens a lot. Uh, and I think the thing that a lot of people are frustrated with, which is when I was talking about the double standard, is that that's not the correct use of double standard. Having the same standard for both club and AEDL is when he made the bid, he wasn't, I don't know, most of Twitter just said he's not very sorry about it, which to me is like, this is a professional league. <laughs> and I heard, some, I heard somebody say on Twitter nobody's going to take you seriously as a professional league if you allow this stuff to happen. And I said, that is just patently untrue. Every American sports league allows this kind of stuff to happen all the time, and then they deal with it the same way that we just did, with a lot of internet hate and the guy getting ejected, and then they go and play the next week. I mean, this doesn't make us, you know, the ADL is not some sort of high-minded, high-horse thing that is going to be overly more spirited than, you know, the NFL or the NBA. I mean, some of the things that were interesting to read on Facebook is, like, Jim Garinger, the owner of the Roughnecks, he commented just kind of, it seemed like, in passing on one of the Jacksonville statements and said the owner should be fined for this. I don't know of any other professional sport where that would happen, but Garinger is a big presence in the league now, so, you know, maybe that is what should have happened. I'm not really sure. I, I think this is part of the growth into a professional league is how we handle this. I don't think this makes us different than every other professional league. I think all the people who play in summer leagues and club want us to be because of our spirit there, but this is professional sports and the guy made well, a bad play and he got ejected. Right. And, but I think that the detractors of the AUDL would say, right, you are trending towards the more NBA NFL model, but this just goes back to the whole age old conundrum over you know, people being afraid of where the sport is going. There, there are always there have been those people in Ultima over the last twenty five years. Um, you know, are they growing in number now? Yeah, maybe, probably. Um, and it's just that it's just it goes back to the the fundamental argument that it, we've been having over the last five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. I mean, right? Yeah. Just, there's change. Some people really don't want it. Some people really do want it. You know, I think Brody Smith has actually talked fairly eloquently, whether or not you agree with him on this, about uh, the whole, a lot of people are afraid that Ultimate is becoming like other sports. And I'm not trying to come down agreeing with Brody or disagreeing with him, but he said, well, yeah, like I would like Ultimate to be more like other sports. And other people have said, well, no, you know, I I became an Ultimate player because I didn't like soccer, Um, you know, or the culture of the high school or college soccer team or what have you. Um, so I, it, you know, that's where the third argument of the, the third outrage that I was talking about over the outrage over the AUDL itself is kind of stemming from, and I don't see it as being totally related to the bid and the reaction to the bid itself. If that's we're being just, honest. 
that seems to be where every single argument in Ultimate goes. Like, it's just it's just the pit that every kind of incident falls into. I mean, I, I bet we got into the same conversation back when that flop happened earlier in the year, and I barely even remember what happened. So, and, and this is just kind of where everything goes. Uh, I think there was some... The justified frustration came from kind of Jacksonville's not only unwillingness to kind of claim responsibility, but their active... Um, well, their active defense of it. Let, uh, let me it's one, it's one, Hold on. It's one thing to stay quiet for an entire day, then come out with a statement. But they were actively defending, you know, their player, which I like that. You know, you got to defend guys on your team, but not if you're the organization. I mean, if teammates want to come out and speak out and defend the guy on your team, then that's fine with me. I, well, I think it's just a classic mistake Jacksonville made of having an eight-year-old run their social media account, right? We've all yep. been there. We've all been like, oh, here you go, eight-year-old. Here's my Twitter. Just look at my mentions and say some ridiculous stuff that comes to your mind. You know, I'm, that must be what happened, right? You an can't always run their Twitter account. You can't give you can't give the freshman the Twitter password. Every college captain, every college president knows this. You you don't give it to a rookie because he's just going to say something that's going to have the club sports guy calling you. And the club sports guy in this situation is the AUDL commissioner. <laughs> and they had a conversation this morning, and Jacksonville walked back their statement a little bit. And a little bit. A little bit, yes. Could have been walked back more. Yes. It was unbelievably political how they were able to say both things at the same time. Um, if you go on Ulti World, we've got a really good compilation of kind of all this. If you haven't seen it and you're not as clued in, um, we should have mentioned that at the beginning. Uh, so if you want... Skip back to earlier in this podcast after you've watched the play and after you've watched some of the Twitter outrage unfold. There's a really great uh, kind of tweet storm from, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher this name, Ben Van Huevelin, uh, who is a longtime USA men's assistant coach. I have always read that name. I've never had to say it out loud, but that's what happens when you undertake a podcast. So there's a great Twitter storm from him. Go on and look at it. Uh, one of the great Ultimate Minds kind of putting his thoughts on this um the adl handled this really well i mean they had a private conversation with jacksonville after making the correct call on the field at least in my opinion the correct call on the field and it's you know it's said and done so i kind of want to put a bow on it and put it behind us jacksonville's not in the playoffs this may be some sort of overarching team culture of florida i highly doubt that uh i have a lot of friends who play florida ultimate and I think that's a stereotype in the same way it is with other schools like UNCW comes to mind. Uh, stereotypes. It, it's a bigger problem with Jackson, the Jacksonville Cannons than other ADL teams, though. Yes. It is. And the last thing I want to say about this, which is not going to calm the Twitter at all because nobody cares about you know me saying this as a, as a youngster of the game, but you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have Ultimate be a legitimate sport on the professional stage, you know, without spirit of the game and still play in low-level club or league or youth ultimate, that stuff does not have to change. You know, I think where we might be going with this is if AUDL continues their kind of uprise and becomes a real legitimate sports, you know, set of franchises – then they're going to be the professional league and USA Ultimate is going to run the ultimate that all of us watching the professional league prefer to play. So that's my final thought on that. Final thought for you, Nathan? Well, I'm just really curious what people think the AUDL should do. Like, listen, I'm all for gain up on the AUDL when they're not clearly explaining what the tiebreaker rule is. 
you know, like, I wish it had been clearly explained because I, that's a whole other thing. Luckily, it did become a problem. Um, but I'm just really not sure what else they should have done here, you know? Uh, the ref immediately ejected the guy, you know? Uh, we can't really... I, I guess maybe they could suspend the player for the first game next year, or, I mean, like... That's it. Even then, that seems a little harsh to me. If you want them to issue a statement, I mean, yeah, well, because those bids have been made consistently during this year. Right. I I think if you're a bunch of games, if you're going to do something like that, it's going to be because you are officially recognizing this sort of different culture in Jacksonville. I don't think this one player. Like, like I think that's one of those things where if you're going to do it for him, you got to do it for everybody else. Yeah, and that, that that's up the player too much. Yeah, yes. I, I'd agree with that. But I'm not really sure, like, what they're supposed to do other than have, like, Steve Gordon have a stern talking to the Jacksonville owner, which evidently happened. Yeah, it did. Uh, I mean... Unless you just want the... You're just anti-referee and want the league to fold. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> what do you want? And if so, stop listening to this right now. We don't want, we don't want your patronage. No, but, we do. We do. We do. That's well, okay. we'll take any listener. That's if you want to hate listen to us, if you want to hate listen to me, please continue. Okay, yeah, that's fine. But you can't hate listen to me, though. you got to be selective. Um, I, I'm okay in this situation for the AUDL underreacting. Uh, I don't think they are underreacting right now, but I, I don't really want them to do anything. I think it just brings more legitimacy to this kind of outrage that is half-founded and half-unfounded. And if you can't tell by my rhetoric, you have definitely swayed me more to your side than what I started with. I started an angry, fiery Twitter monster, and now I'm a grown adult or something that kind of looks like it. So, I There's guess nuance everywhere, Preston. Nuance is everywhere. Uh, I'm an American. Nuance is a French word. Well, that's it for talking about this. Thank goodness. We're going to come back and talk about the Western Division Championship, so we'll be right back. Just take those old records off the shelf. So, Nathan, if you are the San Francisco head coach watching this game between L.A. and Seattle, who were you rooting for in terms of who do you think San Francisco goes better against? We're not going to have a time to talk about this, um, you know, this West Divisional Championship before it actually happens, seeing as they go back-to-back. So let's figure it out. You know, where does San Francisco match up against both of these teams? Well, if I'm the San Francisco head coach and watching both these teams on Saturday and what I predict to be a good game, um, I'm going to be smiling because I'm going to play them the very next day. My team's going to be fresh. Their team isn't. I think there's an inherent advantage there. Um, obviously, there's an advantage playing at home. LA's going to be playing at home. So if LA manages to beat Seattle, maybe those two cancel out. Tough to say. Um but do I think they match up better against one team than the other? Yeah, I, I think they match up better against L.A., depending on what Seattle team shows up, like we talked about earlier. You know, Seattle's offense in particular can be very difficult to stop, um, and especially if they get their horses like, you know, Tim Garrett to show up to the game, who hasn't necessarily been to many games, along with Danny Karlinski, Simon Montague, B.J. Sefton, Phil Murray, uh, Matt Rader. Uh, if they get the whole crew there, it's, it, they're a very difficult team to stop. But again, it just it comes back to that. One of the most interesting things I think coming out of this past weekend is the uh, seeding for the Final Four. So let's say hypothetically the all the top seeds advance. Um, given that Madison's point differential ended up being two points 
better than Dallas's on the season, um, they would face the team with the worst record, assuming Madison advances to the final, that comes out of the rest of the three. And if the top seeds all hold, right now that's San Francisco. Um, and that's not a team that I really want to face in the semis. So I think that's just one interesting plot line from this past weekend that played out. As far as the championship game, I just I see no reason to pick somebody other than the flamethrowers. I, I, I like watching Seattle play, but given that they'll be coming off of a game against L.A. the day before, potentially hot game, you know, I, I think that's also a factor. San Francisco is going to be fresh. So I, I like the flamethrowers. Why wouldn't you? The home field advantage that you get um, if you're L.A. and you win that first game does not nearly offset having to play that game before. Uh, it's just such a huge advantage for San Francisco to not have to play on Saturday. I think the advantage kind of goes away for the other divisions that get some rest, but not all the way, but it does a little bit. For this, I mean, we've seen all year in the regular season teams that go on back-to-back road trips. If it is Seattle, they'll be on a road trip. Do not do very well. I mean, it's really hard to string together two games in a row like this, which makes me agree with you. I, I don't think any of these teams, after their first game, can come close to San Francisco, really. I, I mean, I think in a one-off, Seattle might have a good chance if they bring their whole roster, but they're going to have played just the night before, and it's going to be really tough to revamp for the next day. Yeah, and it's something to be said. It's, a, it's I believe the game's starting at 8.30 on Saturday, or maybe 7.30. It's starting it's Saturday 10.30 night. Eastern. Okay, okay. So that's 7.30 uh, in California. And it's going to be followed by an afternoon game. So the, the games aren't even like 24 hours apart. So in a lot of ways, this is, this is worse than a Friday night game than Saturday night game. You're talking about a Saturday night game than a Sunday afternoon game. It's, it's a tough turnaround. You know, I, if Seattle or L.A. is bringing like multiple players, maybe activate some players for Sunday that weren't active on Saturday, uh, maybe that would be a good idea. I think it's a lot more practical for L.A. to do that, given that they'll be playing at home than like Seattle just saying, Oh, we're just going to bring 24 guys. And you know, it's just tougher to do because you have to fly them out there. But that's, I just think that's an underrated factor too. It's not only back to back, it's night game and afternoon game. Those are tough. Yeah, it is going to be tough. I mean, I think Seattle has a better shot against San Francisco out of the two, but I do think LA is going to win that game at home. So like I said, I don't think either of these teams really are going to come close to San Francisco uh, unless San Francisco has to be looking ahead to their next matchup or something like that or they're missing a bunch of people. San that's, Francisco that's is gonna never going to look past Seattle, though. I mean, that, that it's the nature of Seattle. I mean, maybe if L.A. advances, you know, L.A. playing at home, maybe they could overlook L.A. I mean, they've done it before, but I don't think it's going to happen in the playoffs. You know, everybody knows the stakes. That's the thing, like I was talking about earlier. Upsets don't really happen in the AUDL playoffs that much. They happen in the regular season. But the stakes are higher, the rosters are better, and you know, people know what they're playing for now. Yeah, so, and uh, they, know who just, they're, they know who they're playing against, too. This is not the first yeah. time San Francisco will have seen either of these two teams. So they know what they're doing. They've got the game plan already ready to go for both of these teams. Well, it sounds like we've come to a pretty good consensus there. We're both going to pick San Francisco in that next matchup. We will see you next week when there will be seven teams remaining for that championship spot. So until then, signing off for Nathan Jessen, this is Preston Thompson, and have a good weekend watching some free games.